This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. I'm Glenn Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I am Joseph Berto from White City, Oregon, and you are listening to a special Horse Husbands Only edition of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for September 26th, brought to you today by the Shaken Fork and the Flexen Fork. The monthly Horse Husbands episode. This one is for you guys. No horse women allowed. Welcome back, everybody, to the Horse Husbands episode. We are here, usually the fourth Thursday of the month. Joseph is with me again, as usual. And as usual, we have to give you the warning that no women are allowed to listen to this episode. You are forbidden. You have to turn it off now. You have to go listen to some other podcast. We have 17 of them on the Horse Radio Network. Go find something else and encourage your husband to listen to this because we are talking to him. So. But then come back afterwards. Yeah, you can yeah. come back tomorrow. Uh, speaking yeah. of tomorrow, we have a very special episode for you that the women are really going to like. We have uh, a musical episode with Jared Rogerson. And as Jamie would say, if you've never seen Jared's picture, you will like this episode. And you will <laughs> like looking at his picture. And he's this manly man. He, he works for the government tracking elk in the mountains on horseback. Oh, yeah, that's so, manly. Yeah, there. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, and he was a bull rider. So there's, oh, that yeah. Too. yeah, yeah. He puts us to shame. What do we have coming up on today's show, Joseph? Well, we've got another manly profession. On today's show, we have Joe Maxwell, whose job is another one of those many professions that, if a horse girl is lucky enough to marry, will set them up with desirable horse goodies for life. Uh, to find out more, keep listening. And then we have a author coming on later in the show. His name is Justin. You might have heard him here last week, but uh, we asked him some different questions tonight. So uh, that all is coming up on the show as well. But first, I have to, <laughs> for those that have been following along and, and have been listening every month to the Horse Husbands episode, and especially to the one where we interviewed Joseph a couple of weeks ago, you'll know that he bought himself an ultralight, much to his wife's chagrin. <laughs> and then he re- he basically took the ultralight apart and repaired it all because it wasn't going to fly. And then he, he flies the ultralight, sends me all these pictures of in the air, and it looks very cool. I mean, you look very comfortable flying an ultralight at thousands of feet. But then you tell me tonight that you're selling the ultralight because... Yeah, the oh, well, because... It's like when you buy a pony and then you realize you really want a horse. Uh, <laughs> that, that more more features and you're and getting a bigger, about, better ultralight, aren't you? Well, kind of, sorta. The the ultralight, the way that this one's designed, it's like a two stroke, two fifty motorcycle. It it's just really great on the track and it's super lightweight and it's fun and you get on the power band and you can toss it and it's through the trees and it takes off instantly and everything. But you wouldn't want to be taking that 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 two-stroke motorcycle, say, down to Walmart or anything. You just couldn't do it. You couldn't put lights on and be noisy and uncomfortable. And so after about 45 minutes of flying this particular ultralight, it's just not comfortable to sit there longer. And it turned out that the, the manufacturer of this ultralight, during the 
the time where they built them all, they built almost 15,000 of these Quicksilvers. He listened to customers and made the changes according to uh, what the customers were saying. And 10 years later, he came out with the bigger, better ultralight. And I had an opportunity to, to fly one and, um, and all of the things about this one that I kind of so wasn't so happy about. what's it have that your current one doesn't have other than a more comfortable seat? <laughs> Uh, what the biggest thing that it has is the ability to expand the performance envelope, which means this ultralight has one speed and that's slow. Mm. So it goes up like crazy and it comes down like crazy and it moves through the air at about 35 miles an hour. So if you've got a headwind, you go nowhere. <laughs> you go, the you just stay ul- still <laughs> like your helicopter. You just stay still. <laughs> yeah. You, you look down and you burn through an hour's worth of fuel worth of fuel. And I'm just past the, the, the fence on my neighbor's field. I mean, it's really crazy. <laughs> Unless you're going the other way, in. then you're booking. <laughs> then you're going fast. Yeah. But meanwhile, you're out of fuel. You and know, you'll never get home. <laughs> right. Right. I'm going to have to land out. And so this one here, they put some aerodynamic changes on it. So it's a little less Wright brothers and a little more Piper cub. It's kind of advanced it into is more the modern engine where bigger it has, or more power or whatever. Well, it, there is, but the biggest thing is it has a bottom, uh, covering on the bottom of the wing. So instead of the bottom of the wing being open like the Wright Brothers, it's closed like a modern one, which makes it more efficient. And it also has flaps. And what the flaps mean is that when you start to add all these doodads to an airplane, it becomes heavier. And when it becomes heavier, it takes more horsepower to fly, which takes a bigger engine, which eventually adds weight. And when you get all the weight, then the performance that you love, which is that lightweight, tossable, short landing, all that, it goes away. Well, you help to cure that by adding flaps. And this particular one has flaps. And so when I first flew it, I thought, ooh, I don't know if I really like this thing. And then I started pulling in notches of flaps. And oh, my God, it is just fantastic the way that it flies. And it's quieter. It goes 70 miles an hour. And it it just it's a it's a it's a great unit so the first one was wonderful to get me involved with it and the new one is going to be something that that i'll fly more often and more enjoyably so have you told diane about this yet um yeah she's she's kind of watching everything that's going on she wondered why um my other one suddenly showed up on craigslist again And, but you know, we, we don't, when my wife wanted to go out and buy a better saddle, speaking of, of, of saddles, um, there, there was no objection to that. I mean, I just understand that, that things change and, and as you become more spirit experienced, you want to get, get, you know, slightly better, different things. And, and because back in the day, this, uh, a, this higher performance ultralight, it was really expensive as compared to the other one. And so they didn't sell very many of them. And they also require that it's taken into an actual certified mechanic in order to have an annual every year. So there's an expense involved with it oh, beyond like a regular just owning plane the aircraft. Is. Yeah. Like a regular plane. Yeah. The cool part is, is I'm an A&P, which an airframe <laughs> and power plant certified mechanic. And so I can work on it myself. So I don't can have any... Can you certify any, your any, own plane? I can. I didn't think they would yeah. allow that. Well, you have to go to, you have to go get, you have to have several years of training and then you have to be certified by the FAA uh, to be an A&P, but the same A&P that lets me work on my ultralight lets me work on 747, so it's a really broad, really? broad uh, wow. certificate. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's crazy. I know. <laughs> yeah, you can trust me. I can work on a 747. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> trusting you, Joseph, to be honest. I'm really not. 
<laughs> You're not getting under my but, uh, Southwest jet. Um, thank you very much. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to do that. But, you know, having said that, I mean, even a pilot's license, the same pilot's license that lets you fly in a, in a, in a Piper Cub lets you fly all the way up to, you know, like a, 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 a Malibu, which is a turbine engine aircraft. So there's a, there's a lot of latitude um, when you start to become a pilot with these licenses because they figure every one of them is just a license to learn. And, um, and as you fly, you became more capable and, and so on. So, yeah, it's kind of cool. I'm just glad to have something that put the spark of a- aviation back in me again. Because there for, you know, a year and a half, it it was gone. I had just been worked to death and didn't really want to be in the air anymore. And and uh, then this little ultralight, it, it reignited it, and I'm really grateful for that. It's like, I have to say, it's like women that, that love to ride, then they have kids, and then something brings them back, and they find that they love to ride again. And uh, and I'm so happy when you when you you know meet a gal that's got back into riding after a long period of time. So our first guest is Joe Maxwell, who lives in Shasta County in Northern California. And if you live on the West Coast and have been in the market for a saddle, the name will probably seem familiar. He and his wife Cindy operate the JJ Maxwell Tack and Saddle Company which is one of the premier handmade custom saddle makers in the country. Uh, Joe and Cindy have owned horses for most of their adult lives and know from experience what is needed to have a secure, comfortable, balanced saddle that fits the horse and rider. Welcome to Horse Husband's episode, Joe. Well, thanks, Joseph. You laid that on pretty thick, I <laughs> but uh, thanks for the introduction. Um, oh, you're welcome, and and you, it's very deserving. Um, I, I have to say that I have known uh, Joe for a long time because we used to do horse expos together when I was doing the manure forks and the fencing and stuff like that. And the first time my wife ever saw one of your saddles, she really wanted one, and then found out what the waiting time was, and uh, we really began to know that there was something special about your saddles. But before we get into those. I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about your relationship with your wife, Cindy. Like, um, how did you meet? And how uh, long ago? Well, long time ago. Uh, we've been married, uh, I think, probably 45 or 46 years now, something like that. And uh, we met, uh, I don't know, I think I was, we were, I was 16 or 17 probably, and she was 16, and I had... Uh, that was back in the days when you could ride motorcycles with a permit, and uh, that was my mode of transportation. And I was riding a motorcycle up to visit a friend, and her and she was visiting this other friend. You know, so that's basically how we met. And then were you were you high school in the same high school together? No, no, we actually lived uh, probably fifty, seventy-five miles apart, something like that. But. Uh, you know, so it's just met them, met each other through friends, and we've actually stayed uh, stayed friends with those friends for years. We go visit them all the time. They live up in Spokane, and uh, so we've been we go up and visit them, and they we go camping together and stuff. And so that's been a long time relationship for her and I, and for them. You know, so. So back back at the very beginning, were were you or your wife, your future wife, um, were horses part of your life back then, or did they come into it mm, later? Well, no, not really. Uh, back then, it was kind of hard to because uh, we lived in the basically lived in a city or uh, not as rural of area as we do now. And uh, I always I was raised in a rural area in Indiana, 
and then we moved to to Los Angeles, and so we lived in the in a rural area for Los Angeles, but it wasn't rural, you know. So horses weren't really affordable, and I always wanted a horse, but nobody could afford them back then, you know. Sure. And uh, then uh, when we uh, got married, Cindy had had a horse, and she used to run around on some donkeys that her dad brought her home instead of <laughs> instead of a horse. So she rode around on that for a while, and uh, then uh, when we got married, we moved. Almost immediately after that, we moved to Northern California to get out of the city. And then shortly after that, that's when we started into horses. And how many do you have now? uh, Well, we've got four here on the place. And uh, uh, one of them being my sister's. And the other three are ours. And uh, that's basically about it. We've had, I don't know, we've, we've usually stayed around three or four, something like that, you know. For the two of us, something along there. And I, I so, understand that at some point you you thought about being a farrier or you were a farrier. And I wonder well, how, how I did, did that go? Well, yeah. I did that for, I don't know, I did my own horses when I did it. I wasn't a farrier as far as doing it commercially, but I, I shod my own horses and I went to, went to school and learned that. Okay. And uh, so I did my own just to make it affordable to own the horses. And... Uh, then uh, no, I, I like doing it, but it's a lot nicer to let somebody else do it. But you know, I I learned how to do it, and I never never lamed up any of my horses. So I guess I did pretty good, you know, as far as that goes. <laughs> but first opportunity, I let somebody else start doing it. Yeah, and then, your back appreciated that. Oh yeah, I did. <laughs> I was I was always good for a horse or something, you know. And that was then I'd have to rest a little bit and then go back to do another one. I could never get into it and do it all day. I really don't understand how those guys can do it all day, you know? So it's, uh, but we haven't, uh, we haven't even shot our horses for probably, oh, I would say at least uh, probably more than 10, but probably more like 15 years we've had them barefoot. And that's, that's been a whole new, whole new thing. And I love that, you know, compared to the, you do the same you know, thing as my wife now. When you go out on a trail, you put on the boots. Yeah, and, uh, put boots on. Boots. I keep mine yeah. in boots when I ride them. And, uh, yep. Works out well. And the horse, a lot, lot healthier feet since I did it because my horse was just about done. And I, I got him real young. And, and within six months of putting shoes on him, his feet were falling apart. And uh, then uh, I decided, well, i got to do something. And then one thing led to another, and I ended up, we ended up barefoot. You know, so that was, that was that. uh, Well, you, you make some of the most beautiful and, and desirable saddles that I've ever seen. And, uh, like I say, my wife waited 20 years to get her saddle. And I can tell you that after she, she got her work of art, she says that she has never been more comfortable or had her horse move so well. And, so you incorporate features into your saddles that are unique and very, very special for the horse and rider. And what I wonder is, when did the the saddle making part of this start? Where in your relationship did that that start, and and how did you become so skilled at it? Well, I don't know. I've just always built things, you know, and uh, 
I mean, since I was a little kid, my dad would go to work and he'd come back and I'd cut up all his two by fours that he was going to use for his house. You know? So <laughs> that was, that was kind of like that. I've huh? done that my whole life. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, but I, I actually started, started in, and, uh, I guess there's a little bit of spirituality here, as you'll see on my website, you know, when it comes to that. But the uh, I got uh, about 26 years ago, I basically, I, I feel that the Lord told me to build saddles, okay? And at that time, I was working at a mill, and I was also building cabinets and furniture on the side. And I... I didn't like breathing the sawdust and everything of the cabinets and furniture, so I thought, well, I can build saddles my whole life. I can drop dead build them, you know. And uh, so I started doing that, and I I ended up going to school to learn to build saddles, and then ended up later going a second time, you know. But if you're if anybody that's interested in that, I guess they can go to the website and read about it because it's all on the website, you know. So. So that's basically how I got into into building saddles, you know, was was doing that. And it's, just building things has always appealed to me. I've always liked doing it, you know. You've got, yeah, you've got some special tree designs, and I, I thought perhaps you could tell us about the different designs, tree designs that you have um, when, you, when you make these custom saddles for people. Plus, you've got a different kind of rigging and everything. I mean, these are all things that my wife noticed and, and, uh, and ordered specifically from you, but maybe you could share what's different about yours that, that makes it so Well, it, it, st- it started um, with the retail when we had a retail store. I was originally taught to build a Visalia, which would basically be an old D.E. Walker Western saddle. You know, and that's which are good built saddles, and everything's nice about them, but they're heavy and they're they're bigger than they need to be for most trail riders. Okay, and so uh, it started uh, by listening to people's complaints. Okay, <laughs> and, <that>. and <laughs> what they did, what they didn't like about big bulky Western saddles, right? You know, right. and what they didn't like about English saddles. Okay, yeah, and yeah. so when I when I went to school. Part of the school, the training that in order to to uh, get through it, you had to ride a bridleless horse. Uh, so sure. you had to ride this horse, and then that that taught me the difference between a balanced seat saddle and an unbalanced seat saddle. Okay, and so basically by listening to the complaints and knowing what a balance what a balance is, and by balance, I'm not talking about about a lot of the the terms that people have heard with balance on a on a horse they they think of they're sitting balanced and they're riding balanced well mine my theory is that i've got to balance the rider balance the saddle and balance everything else to balance the horse i want the horse to act the same way that it would act without you on its back, only now you can sit on its back and cue it. It doesn't have to learn to walk again. It doesn't have to learn to do all that. So I want to free the horse up to, and balance the horse, and then I balance the person on the horse, okay? And and horses move a certain, direct, or a certain way, and by being balanced when a horse moves, it has to put you in motion on the on the the back, being on the back of that horse, it has to put you in motion in the direction that it's moving first, so you're less apt to 
to play crack the whip with that horse and end up jumping out from underneath you by being balanced. That's my theory of balance. And uh, so in order to do that, a lot of your bigger Western saddles, they're a little too big, you know, to get to sit you at the right spot on that horse. And your English saddles are too small to sit you at the right spot on that horse. And so what I had done is that I, I changed, I buy my trees already made, only I buy them wood fiberglass and then I modify them and I round the front end off of them so that it doesn't, doesn't uh, hamper the movement of the scapula, the shoulder. Okay. And then that's gives me the capability of moving the saddle forward without contacting the scapula. And then I make some modifications to it, to the tree to set you closer to it, to the horse on the back end. And by doing that, you're sitting at the point where that horse moves from. And it makes a kind of a saddle that's in between an English and a Western saddle is really what it is. Only it looks like a Western saddle and it's, you know, our, our types of saddles are, are wades and weatherlies and things like that. And then I've got some different names for, I modify those a little bit to make the pistol arrows and, and things like that. And, uh, that's basically what the design of the saddle is designed to free up the horse. And when a person's buying a saddle from me, I I pretty much, if they, I'll tell them, Hey, I'm building the saddle for you, but I'm, it's mainly the main things that I'm going to do is build it for the horse. Cause if the horse is not happy, you're not happy. That's, that's that, my theory. The, the tree that you, that you use is actually something that gets fitted to the horse prior to you even making the saddle. Isn't that correct? Correct. Correct. Yeah. We, we've got about, uh, I think about a dozen different fits and they're basically based on the, the, the angles that's needed to be for the, for each and each horse that we're fitting. Okay. And then it's got the rock, which is the curvature of the back from front to back. And then the twist, which is the difference in angles from front to back. And so a combination of those and uh, the seat size and all that goes into doing it. But the, the rock, the twist, and the angle is what sets the, sets the horse up. And then uh, the, the seat size starts setting the person up. Okay? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's pretty much what it's all, what it's all about when, you're, when you're, uh, you're building them. But it's not as – I'm not saying that it's not critical, but – it's a lot of people think, well, I don't want a, a saddle for each and every horse that I've got. Okay. Which that's not necessarily, uh, it, it's rarely the case that they've got to have that, but occasionally they do. But normally people gravitate to a certain build of horse. And, and by, in our case, that, I was just going to say, just because it's made for, for one horse, we were really surprised how, how accommodating it was for the other horses. Cause we have almost all the same breed or same look of horse. And, um, and it's had the same magic, no matter which horse she's put on it. Plus I think just cause it fits my wife so much better. She, mm-hmm. she rides better and really enjoys it. Right. Because she's riding better because she's, she's more, Balanced. um, yeah, she's more balanced. She's more centered. However you want to look at that. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, but the horse is also moving better. Okay. And she's moving with that horse is what it amounts to. And that, that's, 
basically what it's all about. But yeah, you're pretty typical. You, 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 you guys, your horses, uh, you like that build of horse, you know? And in a lot of cases, you'll see people that, that might have, uh, a quarter horse and another, they might have a, a, um, uh, I don't want to throw in any things like halflingers and stuff like that, because they're usually built the way they're built, you know, for most, most part, but you can have a quarter horse and then say an Arab cross or something like that. And they're going to be real similar in, in, uh, in body type and look, you know, and how they're, how they're put together. More than like ours are the, they have an Andalusian cross in them or, or purebred. And so we got kind of that more, more upright and barely horse. And yeah. uh, one of the things that your, your saddle also surprised us, it came and it has a different kind of rigging. You, you kind of develop your own rigging in it and it really made a difference in the way that it, it holds the saddle on and lets it move a, a lot better. Yeah, I, I think I don't want to brag too much here but i think i developed that rigging because it's it's kind of what well, a lot of people look at it and think that it's a center i call it the hope rigging okay because i was building hope saddles at that time which were mine uh, not like the the texas hope saddle it was more based on a plantation saddle and it was actually based on an old Morgan saddle, but I couldn't sell Morgan saddles because everybody thought they were just for a Morgan for horse. Morgan. <laughs> you know, I can so I thought, well, I got to change the name of this, and then I thought, well, I hope I hope this works, and then I thought, oh, I'll call them the Hope Saddle. Yeah, okay, yeah. and that's what that's kind of what started. I hope they sell. You know, well, and the- uh, <laughs> that changed it. You know, but the rigging come about by building those and it's basically kind of like what you would see on these uh, on an endurance saddle and a, a centered fire a center fire endurance saddle the difference being though is that the front ring is straighter down it's more vertical and the the uh, the back rigging angles towards the front rigging but the back mm-hmm. the back scent or the back ring is comes off from the seat and not from the back of the cannel and mm-hmm. so it's it's further forward, so it kind of acts like a thigh roll on your on your uh, as far as your leg goes, you know. Mm-hmm. So it and then that makes it to where the latigo starts in the back and goes down and comes up, and it it holds the saddle and the rigging can can kind of float where it wants to go without pulling the saddle forward into the scapula. Mm-hmm. Right, as best right. rigging I've ever used until you try to rope off of it. If you try to rope <laughs> off of it, you better have a back cinch. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, my my wife's if if you were talking about naming a saddle for what it did, I think my wife's old saddle we could have named it Heister because it <laughs> took a forklift to lift it on there. Oh. And your your saddles are so lightweight. It's another thing that she notices as as we age. You know, it's nice to have a saddle that you can still mm-hmm. put on yourself. Oh yeah, uh, it, I just built myself a new one, Joseph, and that was that. I just got done with it here. I actually rode it the second time over the weekend. And, uh, but I just got done with it and it ended up weighing, uh, 22 and a half pounds with built in saddlebags on the back end of it. And it wow. was, it's, it's another model that we've got, which it started as the wood post light. Only I built this one on a weatherly tree. Cause I like those weatherly front ends more than the wades, but you know, that's to each his own as far as that, but yeah, come out 22 and a half pounds. And it, it looks like it's probably out of the late 1800s. You know, yes. it's a half seat saddle. It's a neat looking yeah. saddle. You know. Yeah, so, I 
the, the on my wife's saddle, one of the things that is is really exceptional on it is the tooling, and uh, and I know that you you said there was some spiritual spirituality to your saddles, but where did the design for your hand tooling come from? How how did that come to you? Because it's 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 once again, if you don't buy one of your JJ Maxwell saddles, you don't see tooling like this. Well, that's an, that's another thing that that I I there is no doubt in my mind that that was uh, each pattern. I never knew what a saddle there. I ended up with, uh, I guess I'll have to to regress a little bit here and go back to when I was talking about getting told to build saddles. Yeah. That that at that same time, and, and I think it's on our website, it's got, the, it's got the mission statement down on there somewhere, I believe it is. And uh, I was given seven names of seven saddles. Okay. And the seven names didn't have, I didn't have any idea what those were. Okay. Then after I, I did, or I should say, as I was getting to build the saddle, I never knew what the saddle was going to look like until the day before I started tooling them. That was the initial seven saddles. Okay. And then I'd get a, you know, I'm. Some people may understand this, some won't. Okay, but what what I got was that I would I would get told to look at a certain place in the Bible. Okay, and it would give me a certain verse. And when you look on the website, you can see on there it it explains all the tooling patterns and what they mean. You know, and so then then after I would get a certain verse, it might say go to page go to page 228 in the Bible dictionary. Okay. And so I'd look at 228 and it would have a definition of some kind of flower or something, you know, what the, what the purposes of it. And basically what it come down to was that each one of the patterns, as it turned out after the fact, after I know now after doing them, it turned out that each pattern uh, covers a biblical principle. Wow. And, and it was all, none of it was given to me except a, a step at a time. So it's like you come to the Lord through faith and each, each one of those, those patterns were given to me the same way. So I had to start the thing without it being done, but then it ended up covering the full, full biblical, the, the principle. Well, your, your you know? interpretation of of what you were given is just amazing. And, uh, if, if one of the things when we recently visited you was the most interesting thing to me, at least as, uh, as an inventor was I was watching you hand tool the letter, the leather. And one of the things that was different with you was there was an invention that you were using that you perfected and it's a special motorized handpiece that allows you to bring details to your patterns and depth to them that wouldn't be possible without it. And maybe you could share a little bit about the inspiration for that invention. Well, that, a lot of that was rotator cuffs were falling apart from tool and leather the traditional way. Yeah. And uh, so I thought, well, I've got to do something or I'm not going to be able to keep doing it, you know. That was my my motivation, my main motivation, 
And then I tried a bunch of different stuff. And then all of a sudden, one day, in, in much the same way as what I'm talking about, you know, uh, on, the, on the other patterns, I got a picture in my head of, hey, yeah. boom, this is what you need to do. And uh, so I, I built uh, what I called the power mallet. And, and uh, the, the power mallet, you put your tools in it. And instead of sitting there and hammering and going tap, 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 you uh, you draw your patterns in as you're doing it, and it hammers them as you draw them, and uh, thus you use them, and you or you use the tool, and there's no wear and tear on your body like there is with the other, but yet the patterns you can get the patterns in deeper, and you can get much more uniform uniformity with oh, it. Oh yeah. Than you the do flow of the patterns when when I'm watching you do them, it just it's really weird how how in your in your head you see something almost like an artist paints a picture or a musician you know composes a song and you watch what's in your head going through your hand through this tool and because the tool is moving there's no there's no interruption in this these patterns and flowers and and wheats and and all these other things start to appear in the leather and it's, it's almost magical in the way that, that it occurs. And, um, it's just amazing when, when somebody buys one of your saddles or goes and looks at one of your saddles, there's something that jumps out or stands out that these things are really special and different. And hearing your explanation of, of how the inspiration came to you and these, these special techniques that you've developed in order to build the saddles is, is really inspiring. Yeah. And it makes leather tooling a lot of fun. Cause it's not miserable anymore. It's not miserable anymore. You're not ache. There's no aches and pains to it. You yeah, know? Well, that's important, and, especially at our ages. <laughs> and, yeah, and I don't know that basket weave. I, that still looks like it's a one at a time thing though. Somebody ordered well, baskets weave. Well, Joe, I got to like, ask no, you. I don't want to do basket weave. I, so I'm going to give you out your website. It's jjmaxwell.com is where people can go. How backed up are you now? Is it going to be 10 years to get a saddle or what? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I was originally, I, I got to where I was probably a year and a half and I, I build a lot of saddles. I mean, I don't, I don't mess around. I, I'm kind of, let's get this done because time's money and, you know, and people want their saddles and at the same time, but I, uh, up, oh, up until about two years ago, or maybe, maybe a little more than that, I was probably running about, uh, maybe a year, year and a half out. Okay, to to get a saddle, and I was probably building. I had to, had a one or two people working for me, and uh, a little bit before that I did, and and but I was turning out probably, I don't know, maybe fifty, sixty saddles a year. Okay, and so I didn't like the idea of of having somebody's deposit for that year and a half simply because I thought, well, if something happens to me, then my wife's got to pay back that money and doing all this <laughs> yeah. and that. So I thought, well, I don't want to go there. So I quit taking orders for probably a year or a year and a half, something like that. And I got those, I got all my orders down and got them caught up. And I, I put people on a, on a callback list. In other words, I'll call you back when I'm ready to take orders again. And, uh, will call back in the order that I put you on the list, you know? And so, uh, that, that probably eliminated, uh, all but about 25% of anybody that had called, you know? 
So I took care of that, but I, and I didn't want to raise the price and I didn't, you know, it was just, uh, cause I, I look at this kind of like a ministry too, you know, because I, I want people to be able to afford them, but yet I've still got to make a living out of them. You well, know? you know, right? that's and, one, of, one of the things I saw in there is that the prices are very, very reasonable. for. This is amazingly cheap for custom saddles, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, and I know that. I know, I know I mean, that. you're talking, it, I, some of the base prices here were 2300 Now you got to add on the, the extras. But when I, you know, when I was at the tax shop 20 years ago and saw a guy come in in front of me and order two custom saddles and put down $40,000, um, oh yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, well, there's something else too. It's so interesting hearing two inventors and two creators talk to each other. I hear a rumor that you use Joseph's products too. Oh, Yeah. I I I move about uh I'll put it this way probably at mainly everybody else around the house we got two places and the other places up in the mountains and uh so I do most of the manure shoveling at the uh the other place and I probably move uh 500 pounds of manure manure a weekend over close to it anyway you know because i got to keep it cleaned up up there because it's smaller places and i can't have the flies and all that but i've always used uh i don't know if i can name oh yeah name brand names here okay but i'd always use the dura fork okay right. which were the best best manure fork that i'd ever used up to that and i'd known joseph for a year but i never paid any attention to his manure fork and so I finally started looking at him. I said, "Hey, wait! I'm going to try try one of those." So I got one of them from him. And uh, as soon as I did it, I told my wife, "I said, hey, get some more of those things because they are the best manure fork that a person could ask for." I mean, it's just the if the only thing he's lacking is they're not self shoveling. You know? <laughs> yeah, we've told him that before. <laughs> yeah, but they they uh, where we live. I've got I've got the paddock set up with half inch minus gravel. Okay, well if you take take a uh, like a dura fork and you start to dig in into half inch minus gravel, you break the tines out of it, and then there's a lot of there's also a lot of volcanic volcanic rock there, which there's a lot of stuff that is embedded in the ground, and then there's other stuff that's maybe a two inch two inch diameter. And you hit them with a dura fork, and it spreads the forks. Or you do get any pry, try to rake with them, or anything like that, and it busts the tines off of it. And uh, but his are set up to where the tines are are they're a little bit bigger. I don't know whether they're made out of different material or what, but I've used them a lot, and I've not broken a tine off of one of them yet. You know, not saying that they might not one day, but the life I got out of it, one of out of one rake has all already been more than I would have gotten out of probably half a dozen dura forks putting it under the same under the same uh, uh, stress. I'll put it that way. And then he's got that little shock absorber on the back, or that deal that that takes the weight off the tine when you uh, when you pick it up. So it's it's. Uh, it is the best manure fork I've ever used, for sure. There's yeah, Glenn no is doubt. always telling me that, that I have a terrible business model because once somebody buys one, they don't need to buy another one for many, many years. We've had ours yeah. for probably six years, Joe, six or seven, our flexor yeah. forks. And I was just going to tell you tonight that I have to order new handles because the handles are finally starting to wear down <laughs> after yeah. seven oh, years. Really? Now, I don't need the basket part. That's fine. <laughs> 
It's the handle. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. yeah the basket's out. And usually the, the basket's the thing that breaks first. You know, and you wind up well, with yeah. these wood handles all over the That's place. That's right. <laughs> and then you got broken tines on those other things. You got broken tines on there, and then everything you pick up falls through the middle of it. Yeah, so that's right. I, can take those, I always said to my know, wife, the poop finds up. the hole. It just finds yeah, it. Yeah, you betcha. <laughs> and the, and as far as now that you mention handles, that little curved handle on the back end yep. makes a world of difference. It does, especially and, for and, us old uh, people, it does make a difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, they it really makes a difference as far as doing it. The whole thing, I don't see anything that I don't like about it. I'll put it that way. That's the only thing I don't like is it's not self it's not self shoveling. Yeah, you know, well, we do so, have the shaken one, but that that's not for your you know you're an outdoor yeah, guy. Yeah, not for what I because I don't have any electricity up there, and I'd be sh- I'd be shaking it anyway. But uh, <laughs> it's not hard even without the shaken one. Okay, right. because you yeah. that half inch minus you just kind of shake it shake the rake a little bit and it goes through the manure and down down falls out back on the ground and then leaves nothing but the manure in there you know so yeah. it, it works well there's really a well. ringing wow. endorsement joseph we've had it both ways here you you to him and him to you yeah, yeah. it is yeah it's a mutual admiration society it's it's, it's <laughs> oh yeah for neat, sure but, but yeah. Uh, yeah his his saddles are really something and and maybe once again uh joe you could tell us where to visit you so that people can read more about your saddles and and uh, hopefully buy one from you because you're you're going to notice the difference. Okay. Well, if you if the email is info at jjmaxwell.com, Okay. And the the website is uh, jjmaxwell.com. And then if you uh, look us up on Facebook, it's uh, uh, JJ Maxwell Tack and Saddle Company LLC. And uh, we're in Anderson and. That's if you want to see a lot of pictures. Most of the pictures are on Facebook of whatever we've built, and there's there's a lot on the on the website, but nothing like on Facebook. Yeah, you, know, you can go so to my you, wife's website and uh, her Facebook account, and there's there's your saddle right there. So yeah, they're all over the place. Uh, yeah, it's pretty well. We've got a lot of them. They're all kind of all over the world, pretty much anymore. You know, there's yeah. a lot of them. Well, Joe, th- you know? we've run out of time. Thank you so much for joining okay. us. We appreciate it. Okay, thanks, thanks a lot, for your Joe. time, guys. All right. All right. Care. Have a good evening. Bye. Bye. Well, what a fun guy, and what pretty saddles. I was just on his website taking a look at the pretty saddles. But he did mention the shaken forks and the flex and forks. He uses the flex and forks. And, of course, we use both here at the farm. But where can people buy them? Where do they go? Well, you can go to our website, which is equitymfg.com. That's E-Q-U-I-T-E-E-M-F-G.com. Or you can call us up and uh, talk to my wife, Diane, in person. And, and she'll they, tell you about the saddle, too. And I really was serious. We're, we uh, we had got ours. I just thought about it. We got ours at the first farm we lived in when we moved to Florida, which was seven years ago. And we've been using these flex and forks and the shake and fork, for that matter, for seven years. And just now, the heads are fine. There's no cracks. There's no nothing broke on the heads. What's happened is the handles have just plain worn out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. After yeah. seven years. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. what other fork can you say the head lasts for more than a year, let alone seven years? It's yeah, crazy. It's, it's really funny because we have people that call us and they've worn the tines out down to oh, little Kalina. Uh, who was host of the Stable Scoop show with me for years. I sent you the picture. Hers were worn down halfway. I mean, halfway, yeah. yeah. And I and so people call and they say, hey, the tines have wore out. And I say, yeah, what other fork do you wear the tines out. out instead of just breaking one? That's right. You know, so 
So they're they're a pretty unique product, and and we're glad that people are are sort of agreeing with our our terrible business model here. Well, yeah, and they're uh, they're not cheap. I'm going to tell everybody that. You go look at them, and you're going to think, why should I pay that? You pay that for just the reason Joe said. You pay that yeah. for the reason I said. You're going to have them for seven years. You know, if yeah. you keep one more, you'll have ten of those others in seven years. So it more than pays for itself, for sure. Yeah, and you get a better quality of, of cleaning, too. Oh, yes. Because with the, the suspension. That, that you talked about the suspension? It. That was yep. incredible. We get we have those roots. Those Get them in Florida, the grass that has the roots that go across the top of the ground. So when you're cleaning the paddocks, the forks are always getting stuck in those stupid roots. And with the other forks, what happens is it flings the poop up into your face. And you <laughs> right. don't have that problem with these forks. You really don't. Right. Yeah. No flicking. Yeah. Yeah, they're different. It's it's they're just different and it's hard to describe to people uh over the radio or or even when i'm at a show you've got one in your hand and they look like every other fork but as soon as you start to use one and you realize how easily they slide into the manure and how much better balanced they are and the the baskets are just the right amount of tall so they hold a little bit more and the the holes in the baskets are designed to sift a specific size of shavings, but still keep the newer. There's just so much engineering into them that that just makes them different from anything else. So try one out, and uh, and I'm sure that you'll become a customer for life. EquityMFG.com. Well, next up, we have a guest who was on last week, and you're going to meet him now. Well, our next guest, you heard him actually here on Horses in the Morning about a week ago. He was on uh, talking about a new book he wrote, but I, he was so good on the show, and I wanted to have him back because this is a whole different conversation on the Horse Husbands episode. We have Justin Long, who's author of Adventures of a Horse Doctor's Husband. His wife has been on the show many times on Wednesdays doing the health segment, and that's Dr. Latcher. But uh, tonight, Justin, we're going to get down and dirty, talk about stuff we couldn't talk about with, with Jamie in the room. So, well, Of course, no women are listening to this That's show, right. Yeah, so this is all guys. Us, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. This is all guys. So I asked you this the other day, but now I'm going to re-ask it in a different way. When you met her, did you have any freaking clue what a nightmare it was going to be, the whole horse thing? <laughs> <laughs> See, I can say that without no, Jamie on I here. Mean, you can't be prepared for that. <laughs> <laughs> how long did no, it take uh, you that you it's went? One of those things where you think you do. But. Yeah. How long did it take you that you went? Oh, she stinks all the time, and oh, she smells. <laughs> how well and, did she hide it? Yeah, she hid it obviously <laughs> yeah, yeah. for some period of time while you were dating or whatever. How yeah. how well did yeah, she? Yeah, she actually hide took it? baths for a while. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was like a year. You know, you you've got that period of time where you're you're forgiving of everything and you don't see it all. You're blind to everything, and then it slowly mm. creeps up on you. It's, it's hard to put a time frame. Do on you that, think that they actually happens. work harder in that year to make an impression, or do you think we just don't notice? Probably a combination well, of the two. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow there's more time. I, my my experience was there didn't seem to be a time issue that if we wanted to go to, out to dinner or she wanted to come up to visit me in Oregon, she could do it. And like as yeah, soon as you're married, yeah. all of a sudden, no, we, I can't find somebody to take care of the horses. Yeah, and I, I don't want to leave this. Yeah. And I, is that was that similar with you? <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's funny how that changed. Like, you know. She was never on call the first six months. And then once uh, I moved in, like she never stopped being on call. How does that, how did that happen? It's just, it's you, boy, you, you just get hooked. And then once <laughs> the hook is set, you're, you're along for the right, ride. Right, right. And, 
And not only that, the drag is set really, really tight so they can keep reeling and you never get away. Because <laughs> they still look cute. Oh, yeah. I mean, they still look cute in breeches. I mean, there's that. And that that's constantly taunting us. Oh, yeah. yeah. It counts for a lot. It does, yeah. yeah. And yeah. they're pretty lean, you know, and fit and mm-hmm. well-spoken. And obviously, they have to have some source of income because horses are expensive. No, they don't, Joseph. That's, that's a joke. <laughs> His happened to because she was a veterinarian. Don't there are there days in the early times when you wish she was a small animal vet and wasn't on call? Not until I really became the bookkeeper did I wish that she was a small animal vet. Because <laughs> they could charge well, more. Once I started understanding the finances of how the horse world works, I realized that we were screwed. Right, you mean nobody ever pays the veterinarian? Is that what you mean? <laughs> oh, it's it, yeah. Are worse your, than that. Are your receivables higher than, you know, for longer than the small animal vets, do you think? No, I th- I think that um our receivables aren't aren't near as bad as small animal vets. The problem is that we can only see 6 or 7 That's horses right. in a day and you they can, can see, see 30 dogs. dogs. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. It's that whole driving to the horse thing. Yeah. Yeah, if everybody would bring their horses in and just line them up at the gate, that would be fantastic. <laughs> well, so one of the things that amazed me is how many people that have a horse but don't have a horse trailer. Oh, that's... That never occurred to me that that was a thing. I live in a horse community here, and I guarantee you half the people... This 400 homes, I guarantee you half the people don't have trailers here. They're just backyard pets. <laughs> well, as long as you do, you know, your neighbor doesn't need to. <laughs> that's true. That is so true. <laughs> so- so now that we've established that, um, did you ever take up riding? No, I uh, I rode when I was in high school. I lived on a cattle ranch out in Wyoming for a few years because my dad was living his dream. And when I when I got down here and got into the English world and realized I didn't know anything about horses and everything that I knew about riding was backwards and what to me means hold on to these horses means go fast and just it's too much for me to unlearn so i just don't bother <laughs> i gotta go back to your dad in the ranch that you said that was his dream was it his kid's dream at that point i don't know it's uh i that was such a fuzzy time for me on how all that came to be because i was i was a, a rebellious teenager at that point but I, I did grow up reading Louis L'Amour books, so the idea of going out and being a, a lean, sun-hardened cowboy riding long in the saddle was pretty appealing to With me. Your but, six-shooter on your hip. And, uh, <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know then, but being a cowboy, it really means building fence. For yes, yeah, and repairing fence and, uh, yeah, moving poop. and Yeah, that's what being a cowboy means. <laughs> and sitting yeah. in the saddle all day long ain't for the faint of heart or faint of butt. It's, yeah. No, it's that, brutal. It, it I remember be. one of the first times, yeah, I went out on a cattle drive to, to round up stuff for, for the fall because we just had uh, cows up there for the summer. And, like, I, I was so sore on the inside of my thighs by about four hours in, and we're probably 30 miles from the ranch. I was just... I was devastated. I had to get off and walk, and I felt like yeah. such a sissy, but I couldn't do it. <laughs> well, I think everybody terrible. can relate to yeah. that, that yeah. first ride where you come back and you got no skin <laughs> left on the inside of your knees. It's like, what? Right. Man, you guys are crazy. You're going to do this again tomorrow? 
That's, I'm out. That's why I have a carriage with suspension. That's why I do that and don't ride. It's I think much, you're onto something there. Yeah, it's soft seat, def- suspension. I'm good. So then you went and met this girl who's a horse girl, but who also is a veterinarian. And then this book is Adventures of a Horse a Doctor's Husband, which is kind of involves you going out on calls. I don't think I would have ever went out on calls. I got to be honest. You, you're braver than me. I can't stand blood and all that <laughs> stuff. I could have never done this. Oh, I'm good with that part of stuff. I, uh, I get ridiculed at the clinic all the time because I like to go watch the bloody surgeries on my lunch break. And so I have to stand there and eat lunch while they're doing it to make it all work at the time frame. Well, you married the right person. (laughs) (laughs) It, it, It is exciting stuff though. It's, or I will say initially it was all really exciting. After you've been to about 300 colics, they're not quite as exciting, but I love a good laceration or, you know, we had a horse that was stuck in a sinkhole and she didn't have any eyes. And so she was blind and just before the sinkhole, like, totally immobilized. And in in yes, in oh, a Florida okay. sinkhole, oh. it was it was super exciting. So things like that, you know, it it definitely keeps the adrenaline going. Do you go out on a lot of calls still or not? Uh, we do less now. Now that we've we've gone from a two doctor practice to a three doctor practice, we're on call a lot less than we used to be, which I'm grateful for. Now, would you because go along the, uh, just to be with her because she was never home, or were you doing it just because you liked the adventure of it? Probably both. Um, I don't sleep good when she's not there. I'm used to having somebody beside me, so if she's up, I might as well be up, too. There you and, go. Uh, so but that really, way, nobody like gets any sleep, and everybody's grouchy the next day. It's perfect. <laughs> and everybody's going, exactly. oh, yeah. I can, I can yeah. hear the big sigh. Yeah, all the ladies that aren't supposed to be listening are now, you're their favorite person ever. <laughs> oh, well, you know. I, I'm not working the crowd, I promise. Besides, besides writing books, what, what else do you do? What else, what is I your... am the, the business manager for the vet clinic. So I'm, oh, okay. I'm the bookkeeper so and the, all the stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you're involved all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have to say, it's an everyday, seven-day-week job. It comes to the gory stuff. I, I, my wife is always laughing at me because I, I can't watch Doctor Pimple Popper. Oh God! Well, yet. who can? <laughs> my wife can. I, I never even heard of that until this last year. Yeah, Jemmy She's watches that too. Oh, she tries to get me to watch, and I can't do it. I can't do it. But I, I can sit there and and assist the vet and watch. You know, the 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 things, the lacerations being sewed up and everything else. So there's an empathy somehow difference. I don't know what it is, but what one is interesting and helpful, and the other one is like, how can you be watching? this stuff this is so bad yeah we always oh yeah we always joke about on the show and it's not really a joke because it's kind of true we always joke for the last 10 years we've said and veterinarians and farriers will agree with this if you had just got there and the horse was just there and you never had to deal with the people your life would be golden wouldn't it (laughs) (laughs) you know it's amazing how many people get into the veterinary business because they love animals and they hate people yeah, and I tell you, being a veterinarian is ninety-five percent people management. It's the same with farriers, right? It's the same thing. You got to put mm-hmm. up with the people because they're standing there the whole time you're doing their shoes, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a it, it's a, a huge misconception. I wish there was some way to educate kids when they were in high school before they go down this track and spend all the money to become whatever they're trying to become. But, do they give any? Yeah, you you do they definitely g- have. To do they give veterinarians in training in school? Uh, do they give them people training? No, no, they don't give them people training and they don't give them business training. Wow. But, Which uh, they really should. It's a little bit scary. 
Yeah, for both. You know, for $400,000, you should get a little bit more. Well, and that's the thing. You know, pop the... Oh, John, after Dr. Pimple Popper, I can't believe I just said that. Um, the, the misconception <laughs> that veterinarians come out and make a lot of money right away like other doctors is incorrect, right? Oh, yeah, that is a giant myth. That's what I think. And the problem these days is that the student debt load is so high that you're probably not ever going to be able to pay it off as a veterinarian, whether you're equine or small animal, it doesn't matter. You're just not going to make enough money to ever make that break even. We're talking small animal vets, Joseph, are starting at like 35,000. That's not very much. No, not when you have a debt of 400,000. <laughs> no, that's not very much. <laughs> yeah. No wonder they got to have them yeah. going out the, out, out the door. Although, uh, you know, there's an awful lot of vets that could have a lot more business if they just lower their price a teeny bit, I can tell you. That. <laughs> <laughs> Said by we're a not true horse. Talking yeah. horse vet. But, but small, yeah, small animal vet. It just seems that just well, same. see, and Jennifer doesn't let me go anymore to the vet because last time I brought our greyhound in, uh, they said, well, you should do this, you should do that, you should get a full body scan, you know, all of that. And I'm like, sure, that sounds like it. <laughs> so $1,200 later, you know, we found out that the dog had a urinary tract infection. Um, she will not let me go to the the, the vet anymore. <laughs> I'm not allowed. Well, you know, they got to pay for all of those $400,000 educations. They got to pay for the $75,000 x-ray machine and the $50,000 ultrasound machine. Well, they count on people like me the for 35 that. people that work there. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's suckers <laughs> like me that walk in and go, yeah, that sounds good. I got to oh. tell you, it was really cool seeing a Greyhound skeleton, you know, in the full body x-ray um, <laughs> that we did. That was that pretty cool. It was cool. So what are? We didn't find any like Hot Wheels or anything in there. No, right? but we found it. she had wrecked when she raced, which is why she was retired. She hit the she actually hit the rail, flew up in the air, and fried her head on the on the uh, electric wire that makes the bunny go. Uh, she had a fry oh, mark wow. when we got her right across her head, and it, she still had a scar. Um, but she, we found out she had broken her back in three places. Uh, There were three places where she had broken her back. Yeah, and and we didn't know that at the time. She was running like crazy years later. But, um, hey, so I got to ask you, you, you're out in all these calls. What's what's some wacky stuff you can tell us that there had to be some Um, wacky things? Like you got there and said, I can't believe this. (laughs) Without breaking confidentiality. Yeah, see, that's where it gets tough. I don't want names. (laughs) (laughs) i wrote a book about this stuff yeah you wrote a book (laughs) and i was and i was going to ask you about that because like james harriet with that that all all animals book um there's a Mm -hmm. lot of interesting things that that are in that book and i thought man if this guy wrote a book about you know being a a horse wife's doctor's husband there's got to be a lot of interesting stuff that's happened so what's in the book that makes it so interesting well and, and this is where it gets tricky as far as the confidentiality thing is you you write down all the stories and then you have to go back and, and make it all unidentifiable uh. and like try to make everybody anonymous and all this stuff. But I, so I tried to, to get kind of a across the board sprinkling of a lot of different things, because if I wrote it true to life, it would be 19 colics and two lacerations. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Nobody would make it past right, A lot of walking horses around. Yeah. 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 But uh we had one that was that was really interesting that was a horse that managed to get through a kind of a fallen down uh barbed wire fence, which you know, I don't think a horse should ever be behind a barbed wire fence to begin with. It's a laughing nightmare. 
waiting to happen, but there's a lot of them that are. So this one made it through there and got into a little, uh, little forest of trees. And, you know, in Florida, there's vines like nobody's business growing everywhere. And somehow she managed to get her leg stuck in a vine that was wrapped around and she could not get back out of it. And, uh, and was there like all night trying to, you know, pull herself out. And so, so, you know, horses have to be able to unload that leg. And so she was standing on three legs for God knows how long before they found her. And, um, so we ended up, they, they, uh, they cut the vine off and, and got all, got all that out before we got there, but we got there, we x-rayed her. She managed to not break her leg somehow, but she had worn the meat away, the skin and the muscle and the tendons, everything all the way down to the, to the bone on her leg where she had been working it all night. And, uh, so that one was, was pretty exciting because we had to get a splint on her. Because, you know, she was a long ways from anything. So we had to get get the wound cleaned up and get a, a splint, which we ended up just like duct taping a two by four to her leg and getting to where she could sort of hobble out of there to where we could uh, get a trailer back then to get her get her out to someplace where we could get her taken care of. And uh, but just the logistics that had to take place on that, they had to cut the fence out. They had to cut some trees out like this was a major operation to uh, to get this horse out of here. So. That one was pretty exciting. The sinkhole horse was super exciting. We had the uh, the large animal, what is it, T Lars Technical Large Animal Rescue yeah, yeah. Unit from yeah, she's the been University on our of show Florida. Many, many they, times, yeah, yeah. They came out and uh, and ended up extracting the horse out of the hole on that one. But that one was crazy because I was thinking about if one of our horses if that had happened. So so what happened? The ground basically just fell out from underneath her. It was one of those small just all of a sudden sinkhole forms and it only dropped about probably five feet or so, but she was up to the, to, to the top of her back just in this hole that was basically the exact size of the horse. Ugh. So, you know, one of our horses would have been panic and losing their mind yeah, exactly. <laughs> trying to get out of that hole and, uh, and probably made it worse and, you know, would have been swept away into the aquifer or something, but this horse with no eyes can't see what's going on was just as cool as a cucumber stood there, you know, eating the grass. She had, she had grazed the grass down all around on the front side as far as her head would reach and had a little <laughs> pile of poop at the back side of the hole. It was just hanging out. And, uh, that was, that was super exciting watching the, you know, the rescue team trying to figure out how they were going to get her out of the hole. And basically what they did was they put a, a winch around her. And, and as soon as she was hooked up and the pressure off her legs, we had to knock her out because she would start flailing as soon as you'd lift her feet off the ground. And, uh, and they pulled her out of the hole and just kind of drug her off quite a ways to where she wouldn't fall, fall right back, back in. in the hole once <laughs> she woke up. You know? But and this was the, uh, the other interesting part from the veterinary side of it that it never would have occurred to me, but your equilibrium, a lot of that is based on your eyes being able to see the horizon so you know which way is up. You can keep your balance. So this horse with no eyes being unconscious and then coming back out of that and trying to stand up having zero equilibrium was, uh, was like a big danger point of her flailing and, you know, breaking a leg or something. I so didn't know where that. to start. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So is your, all is that your kind of stuff just makes me feel so inadequate. <laughs> well, there, in a way, yes, because we have a Facebook page. Um, and a lot of these pictures have been on our Facebook page. So if you're willing to spend the time to dig back through there, there are some pictures of this stuff. I think over the years we've done this show and the thousands of uh, health things we've talked about, 
the one that still sticks with me is that guy from Tennessee who had the Arab that during a thunderstorm uh, shot a a two inch branch through the Arab's body um, went in, oh, in yeah. underneath the chest and or in the chest and out the side. It was just. And had pictures of this two-inch branch. I mean, a big fat thing sticking through all the way through this Arab. Um, and I got to tell you, the story that he told about you know saving that horse, which they did, was incredible. And but also uh, the pictures were just like, oh my god, uh, just <laughs> just a I, I believe crazy it. storm. We've got a video on our YouTube channel. Uh, on Spring Hill Equine's YouTube channel of a horse that I believe it was about a year ago that ran into a tree branch, and the uh, and it was a crazy horrible series of events. Like the owner was out of town and somebody else was taking care of the horse that wasn't really a That's horse. That's always person. the way it works. You know, <laughs> yeah. So they like there's a little bit of branch sticking out there, so they like pulled that out and thought it was okay. And then a week later, the owner comes home and there's this huge swollen infection on the side of the neck, and they bring the horse in in a panic. And uh, we pulled out a, a tree branch that was like a foot and a half long. It was like, it starts coming out and you're like, holy crap. And then two seconds later, it's still going. It's like twice as long. You're like, man. And then it goes and goes and goes. And it finally comes out. And then all the pus from the uh, infection starts coming out. It's like a volcano. Uh, like, oh. I hope it, you're enjoying breakfast, everybody, our this most morning. successful viral yeah. video. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's always the gross stuff. But that's the one where I learned about Dr. Pimple Popper, because everybody was making those comments on that video. And I was like, what is Dr. Pimple Popper? <laughs> apparently, it's related to this. Yeah, she makes a ton of money doing that show, too. Yeah, very similar to that, that experience. Oh, God. Man, what's Not wrong with people? Yeah. <laughs> so it's the Adventures of the Horse Doctor's Husband is where you can find it. But you guys also do a podcast. Tell us about your podcast. So our podcast is called Straight from the Horse Doctor's Mouth, and I think we've got about 40 episodes out now, but it's all horse health stuff. So it's me interviewing Dr. Latcher about, you know, why do colics happen and what can you do to prevent it and what sort of vaccines do you need and what makes a good hoof and a bad hoof and just all kinds of crazy stuff. I learn a lot of stuff. I don't think Dr. Latcher learns anything from it. I was going to say, I that's everybody like something I'd like to listen to. Yeah, yeah. it is. It is a, yeah. I listened to an episode or two, and it's a good show. And she's fascinating anyway. We always love having her on this show. But one of the comments I made off the air to you, and then you explained, I said, this is very well produced. I mean, when most of the time when people start podcasts, it sounds like crap, like ours did 10 years ago. The sound <laughs> is awful. The music's off. It's bad. Everything's bad. And But yours is like so professional. But then you explained why. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm one of those people that when I when I do something, I do it a thousand percent. So I got into a band and I bought all the best recording gear and PA system and everything that money could buy. And so then the band fell apart, and I've got this amazing sound sound system. system. With nothing to <laughs> Did do you with finally it, get so. to use again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we probably have the most overproduced podcast that there is. It's very well done. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm gonna hire you to help out. <laughs> new new profession on the horizon yeah, here. Yeah, just what he needs. Right. <laughs> well, you guys just are doing so time consuming editing out editing out all the all the swearing and all the you know the fun stuff. 
Yeah, we don't have that too much. We don't have to. Oh well, I, let me take that back. The eventing radio show has a lot of it. We have to. We have to be very careful with the eventing, <laughs> with the eventers. Well, this has been fun again. Thank you so much for joining us a second time. And Justin, where can people buy the book? Where can they find you guys? Uh, Adventures of the Horse Doctor's Husband is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and anywhere you buy books in ebook, paperback, and hardcover. And you can also find out more at our website at springhillequine.com. You can find our podcast there. You can find the book there. You can find the blogs. We've got it all. Where are you guys located? We are just outside of Gainesville in Newberry, Florida. You're right up the street from me. Very nice. Yeah, not yeah. too far at all. Yeah. You'll have to come down and join us in the th- in the studio some someday. That'd be fun. Absolutely. Or you can do a live live podcast with Dr. Latcher. That's right. We get you both to come down and we'll just have you, get we'll you. have her. No, she's too busy. She doesn't have time for this. So, we can join forces. Do a, imagine the devastation we could cause. That's right. That's true. And the whole podcast. Do it live from a sinkhole rescue. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, Justin. We appreciate it. Well, as you know, we're continuing the week of the listener where we really need your help in promoting the shows. So we're asking you to do one of three things, and that's rate and review us on your favorite podcast player. So if you listen on iTunes, go over find Horses in the Morning and give us a rating. We hope it's five stars. and We hope you say nice things about us. We've never really asked for that before. A lot of podcasts ask for that from day one. Apparently, we think you have to listen for 10 years before you're allowed to rate us. So we're asking that now. Uh, if you could do that for us. It does help in our rankings and things on iTunes. And now also, if you can, go on your Facebook page, go on your Twitter, go on your Instagram, and post about our show and link people to horseradionetwork.com and and talk about our show. Talk about how you feel about it, how you feel about podcasts, because next Monday is International Podcast Day where we celebrate all things podcasting. So definitely go over and say something. It really helps us find new listeners and continue to grow the show. Or if where do you put the five stars, Glenn? If you go into where? any podcast app where you listen to it, there's a place in there to rate and review the episode. Uh, oh, okay. So go locate that, and then you can write a little review in there for us. And Because okay. different podcast apps are different. And then the third thing is you can become an auditor. And we had a lot of people this week doing that for as little as $3 a month. You can go over and sign up. You help support the the hosts and the shows here on the Horse Radio Network. Keep the place going. Keep the lights on. What a lot of people don't realize, and it just went up again, is because the show is so popular, Horses in the Morning specifically, we keep having to pay more to keep it going because we're using more bandwidth. We're using almost three terabytes of data a month, Joseph. Um, yeah, it's a lot. And we have over 110 terabytes of storage just for the episodes, all 2,300 episodes, wow. sound files. So it isn't cheap. And you guys help us keep it going in addition to the sponsors, but we appreciate your help as well. Plus, you get to be in the super secret auditor's room, and there's a lot of fun being had in there all the time. So, and yeah, it's, that, that auditor's room, one of the things about it that I noticed is there's there's no negative Nancys there. Nope. And, and a lot of these forums or whatever, you go on, and all you get is somebody that uses a forum to talk about things they wouldn't say to your face. And that absolutely does not happen there on the auditor's room. It's one of the most pleasant, interesting, fun um, and Facebook pages. They that you talk about everything. Oh, I know it. They were talking about boobs on it I, the other day. <laughs> what is ninety five percent women? And I like how they it always. Is, it is so funny because 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 the ladies think that they can put on their post. This is for ladies only. 
And they yeah, think right. that Joseph and I aren't going to read that one. That's the first yeah. one we're going to read. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I want to comment and 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 talk about dangly bits and things like that. But yeah. then I think, no, that's that's just not going to work. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> can talk about funny. it. We can't. No, we can't. Right, right, yeah, exactly. Right. But ladies, we are reading those posts. I'm just telling you. So <laughs> you can become an auditor and join the rooms over there. There's lots of benefits to that. We have additional content. We do Facebook lives in there with very interesting guests, and sometimes with other auditors. So they get their own content in there too so go check that out uh you can find that by going to horseradionetwork.com and clicking on the auditor banner Uh, you'll see it on the right side of the page there well that's it for today thank you so much we'll be back tomorrow with the special special musical episode with uh, jared rogerson that jamie and i had a chance to record before i think you're going to like that he has a new album coming out and he's just so much fun we had a great time and you get to listen to some cool music as well you can find joseph at equity mfg See y'all. And don't forget, speaking of of dangly bits, don't forget to spay, neuter, and kill your horses.